you don't have a Bible with you, then put your hands up. Guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. If you have your Bibles, 2 Peter is where we are today. 2 Peter chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week. So let's pray and we'll get into uh, 2 Peter. Well, good morning, Lord. And as we call you Lord this morning, we're reminded uh, of a, uh, a dedication to accomplish your will on earth and not our own. We, we just recognize that you call the shots. You are sovereign and powerful. And you are love. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just place ourselves in your care. Uh, we trust you. And, and, and we want to trust you. We're trying to trust you with our lives, Lord. We uh, somehow think that we know better at times, but uh, we are mistaken. You are perfect and good and kind. And so, Lord, we just ask for a, uh, a word to speak to our hearts this morning from your word. Uh, we've come empty in a lot of ways, uh, tired from the week that we've had, uh, needing to be uh, filled, encouraged, comforted, and maybe challenged. So, Lord, we, as we open your word, we, um, we say open our eyes to show us wondrous things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. We are in uh, 2 Peter. Didn't make it quite as far as I had hoped last week, but we'll pick up today in verse 9. We'll actually go back and we'll read a little bit to get a running start. But just by way of, of reminder, uh, the Apostle Peter, the author of this letter, an epistle is simply a letter. They are uh, enduring not just a time of persecution on the outside, but false teaching on the inside. And, and it seems that the situation is, is such that uh, people were being saved and rescued from their, their lives of, of sin and, and selfishness and all, being rescued out of that. And then the false teachers were encouraging them and telling them that, hey, you can... You can embrace that old life of sin and Christ, both. You, you know, you're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how you live. You can enjoy all the things that you want to enjoy in this world. Sinful things, uh, things that are off limits, uh, sexual sin. All, hey, you can do all that, and we'll call it liberty. And so Peter is trying to combat this by telling them about their new life. And that's kind of where we are today. So the title of the whole book study, the three chapters of Second Peter, is to stir you up. And we'll read one of the places where Peter uses that word, to stir you up, and there's a second place in chapter 3. And last week I brought chocolate milk. This is a little safer. It was Arts and Crafts last, last night at my house, and I made a glitter jar. And this glitter jar, you see all, I don't know if you can see the red glitter at the bottom. Those are your thoughts about God and heavenly things. And they've all settled to the bottom. This is, this is like Tuesday, or maybe Monday afternoon. Right. Sometimes it's Sunday afternoon. I meet people as they, so, you know, someone that went to a different church or something. I say, so how was, you know, did you, did you have a good experience at church today? Oh, yeah, yeah. What was the sermon about? Awkward silence. I have no idea what the sermon was about. So I repeat things a lot because when you guys meet somebody, I want you to know what the sermon was about or at least where you were. I think I was at Calvary Chapel. I'm not sure. But those are your thoughts about God. Because to stir up, and we'll talk about this as we, as we go through the passage, to stir up, it, it physically, in, in a literal sense, it's the word that a fisherman or a boatman would use 
about water that was calm, but then becomes agitated by a storm. It gets stirred up. Well, figuratively, it means, your, it means to stir up your mind, to awaken your mind, to stir up your thoughts. And so Peter recognizes that your thoughts about God, once you hit the world, once you hit the pavement out here and, and the gravel, and, and your life begins again, that those thoughts about God easily settle. And so Peter says, here's what good preaching does. Right? Stirs that up, agitates it. Now, all those thoughts are there. So this is what Peter is doing. He's trying to stir up all those thoughts with this letter. Thoughts in his own congregation, the people he's writing to. And that's my hope as we go through 2 Peter. I hope you guys leave here and you are stirred up. Because I know you listen to, you listen to these talk show, radio shows about how our, you know, the world, the, the corruption in the world, and the problem with the government, and you get stirred up. Stirred up to anger. And Peter's trying to stir you up to love and to grow in your faith. And so in some ways, this letter is a, a letter against Christian underachievement. How about that? A letter against Christian underachievement. Well, let's pick up in, uh, in verse 5. Previous to this, Peter said, look, th- let me boil this down. God has given you some awesome promises. And those promises are, are culminated in and fulfilled from a new nature. God has given you, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you a new heart, a new life. Jeremiah asks a question in Jeremiah 13. Can an Ethiopian change his skin? Or a leopard his spots? And the answer would be no. You know, you are born the color you were born, the race you were born. You were born, a leopard is born with spots. That's part of who he is. But if the leopard gets a new heart, if the inside changes, then the outside changes. We were at uh, having a Q&A one night a while back, and, and we were, the Q&A was about tattoos. And something very profound was said, and so you know it wasn't me that said it. Someone there said something very profound as a person that's part of this fellowship that uh, has been involved in, in, in uh, tattooing and has a body with a lot of tattoos on it. And um, we were talking about tattoos and the fact that the, the most discouraging thing for this person is that um, what they said about themselves is now the, the outside that no longer matches the inside. That the outside things are still there, but the inside has changed. And I thought that was so profound. And so the new nature, God, God gives you, this is not just a, a game that we play or just a life we try to live in our own power. God gives you the miracle of a new birth, a fresh start. And Peter is trying to say to you and to me, don't waste it. So this is what he says. He says, because that's true, verse 5, also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So we went through the list, uh, the ladder of virtues, so to speak, the things that Peter is encouraging us 
to grow into, to add these things, to be diligent, and to start now adding. And the great remedy, the great remedy for the challenge of falling back into your old life is moving forward in your new one. I will guarantee you that you cannot walk forwards and backwards at the same time unless you have a split personality. Then you can try. But you cannot walk forward and backward at the same time. And I've seen people come through here. They used to sit among you. They're no longer here. They were baptized, maybe with some of you, and then disappeared. And back into the old life, never taking advantage of the new life. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is, is Peter says that you won't be barren or unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when I was growing up, I, I was weaned on cartoons, man. Any other, any other cartoon fanatics when you were growing up? I watched a lot of cartoons. And maybe that shows. I'm not sure. Uh, I think that says a lot about who I am. And my character was developed by Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Most of the kids are going, who are they? Do they make ice cream? No, that's Ben and Jerry. But I watched G.I. Joe. It was a cartoon at that time. Now, I had G.I. Joe, that the Kung Fu grip and all that. But I watched G.I. Joe cartoons. At the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon, there was sort of this public service announcement where G.I. Joe would take these two kids and they'd just pet a stray dog or something. And G.I. Joe says, now, kids, you shouldn't, pay, you shouldn't pet stray dogs because they can bite you. And they say, oh, we didn't know. And then G.I. Joe would say this profound thing. Well, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. And that's true, right? Knowing is half the battle. But then you have to act on what you know. You can't say, oh, thanks, G.I. Joe, we know, and then go next door and pet the stray dog, you know? (laughs) You're supposed to change something. And so a lot of this for Peter is what you know. You know you've been given a new start. You know you've been given a clean slate. That's what he says here. If you know, you can be unfruitful. Your, Your Christian life, what you know about God, what you know about yourself, can be useless to you unless you act on it. And there are people that have a lot of knowledge. You know, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. There are people that know the Bible inside and out, backwards, forwards. They can quote scripture, passage and verse. But yet you don't see anything in their life. You see no change, no difference, no fruit. And that's why we add to our faith. We pursue the new life. If these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like verse 9 even better. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. So I I wear glasses and I need them. I I can see. I can read my Bible. I can take these things off and I can read close by. But uh, if I take my glasses off, you folks in the back, you're just like a big haze and a blur. See, to be short-sighted means you can't see things in the distance. You can't see things far away. Everything you see is just up close. And it really means, the word means to squint. And so if I take my glasses off, you can kind of squint to try to see. And you can be so short-sighted or so nearsighted that you're almost blind to things far away. And Peter says, if you don't take the time and, and are not concerned with adding to your faith, it's almost like you're blind to what God has given you. You're, you're only looking at the temporary, the here and now. You're only looking to fulfill temporary lusts. You're ignoring what these things, what these lifestyles produce in the future. You're not looking at the long picture. You're looking at the short picture. And, and I like what he says here. You're short-sighted 
even to blindness, and have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. And again, remember, the backstory on this is false teachers that are taking people that had been set free from their old sins, and now they were trying to allure them through empty promises and promises of liberty back into the old lifestyles because misery loves company. And if you change, if you say, no, I'm not not into that anymore, all those friends of yours try to drag you back into it because they feel guilty when you change. And that, and that bothers them. So they want to see you stumble and fall. And the false teachers were like that. They liked their sin. They wanted to embrace their sin, but they felt bad about it. They felt guilty about it. And so their goal was an attempt to pull you back in with them. And he says, have you forgotten? Listen, you got a new life. I looked up a little research on heart transplant. Uh, the care, once you get a heart transplant, what you do after you've gotten that, Do you go back to eating fried foods and lazing around the house, poor lifestyle? When you get a heart transplant, they say, now look, you've been given a gift. Now you need a new lifestyle. That's why people go to cardiac rehab. It's It's to learn a new lifestyle, to take care of the new heart you have. I knew a guy that got a liver transplant. He had overdosed, I believe, was the problem. He had overdosed when he was young and ruined his liver and he lived he was on dialysis for a long time and and the guy was just a man he was a partier and a rebel and so he's you know when he had he needed a liver transplant i think he kind of thought well you know i'm I'm a dead man anyway might as well go for it right you're going to be a bear be a grizzly i think that was his his take on life and so he got his new transplant he's got his new liver what a chance what an opportunity and went right back to partying and see you know it's wrong But what Peter is saying is we can become Christian underachievers. That there's so, every area of our life, we are overachievers. We want our kids to succeed in school. We want our kids to succeed in sports. We want our kids to succeed in this. And we want to succeed in these things. But when it comes to our Christian life, we have a whole different attitude. Don't we? It's like, well, I'm kind of tired. How am I making the church as early as 10 o'clock? You know, that's early for me. And I'm not trying to cut on you guys. I hope you understand but you'll get up at 4 a.m. for a swim meet or for this or that. And I, look, I got convicted about this too. A number of years ago, you know, I, I coached soccer for years. And my son and daughter both played. And, and I, we were on our way to um, Blacksburg for a soccer game. Well, it was a tournament. Three-hour drive for a one-hour game. And I'm, do, I'm there. We're in the car. We're going, right? And that soccer game, the Lord spoke to my heart. And, and it was, you know, because I could be a soccer dad. I mean, I can be a soccer dad. I'm a competitive guy. And so I like Peter. Because anytime you want to talk to me about growing or moving forward or making progress, I'm very progress-oriented. I don't like to go backwards. I like to go forwards. I don't like to stumble, as Peter is saying here. Um, so, I like, so we get in the car. We're going to the game. And at that game, at that tournament, I watched all these other stud soccer players from all these other teams and, and I thought, wow, this, you can multiply this by a million across our nation. Every city, every town, they're all playing. And there's some kids that are just studs. And the Lord just was like, Steve, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And I was convicted. Why? Because he said on the way home, the Lord said to me, and I said, you know, what an audible voice in my heart. It's like, would you drive three hours for me? 
to visit someone for an hour that was in the hospital? And I said, I don't know, Lord. This is soccer, ministry, you know, I mean, let's, let's get our priorities straight, right? But then someone in this fellowship had a, a son who lived in North Carolina that was in the hospital with cancer. And uh, the Lord said, okay, Steve, you ready to put your money where your mouth is? And so I drove two and a half, three hours down to Duke to visit for an hour. And, and so for me, it was like the recognition of, Lord, what's important? And what am I willing to sacrifice for you? Because I don't want to be a Christian underachiever. I don't want to have all of my efforts go so hard to run so fast all, after all these temporary things. And then when it comes to my spiritual life, take a very lazy and lackadaisical attitude about it. And that's what Peter is saying here. For he, You forgot you were cleansed from your old sin. Don't go back there. The remedy again of for, for being tempted to go back is to run forward as fast as you can and as hard as you can. Pursue God. Those who come to God must believe that he is, that he exists. This is Hebrews chapter 12, uh, or no, excuse me, chapter 11. Must believe that he is, and he's a what? He's a rewarder of those who sort of casually seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I can guarantee you, at least three quarters of the people I see in Christian counseling have no pursuit of God. And they wonder why they've stumbled back or why they're struggling so. Therefore, brethren, verse 10, this is where he gets even more with this. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, like Peter, to make your call and election sure or certain, secure. Now, this is not talking about security of the believer. He's saying, look, make sure that if you are ever accused of being a Christian in a court of law, there's enough evidence to convict you. Make sure that there is no question as to people don't look at you and go, I wonder if he's really saved. I mean, look at the way he's living. He's just, he's, there's no change in his life. There's no, 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 no fruit. You know, be diligent to, to take what you've been given and make the most of it. Run with that is what he says. To make your call and election sure. You're, you know, that God has, a, this is amazing, God elected you. You didn't even have to run. Maybe you, some of you did run. You ran from. God's trying to elect me and I'm running. <laughs> this is not politicking. This is not trying to... Con- election doesn't involve you trying to present yourself, you know, your, your, the banners, and I'm going to do this for you, God, and I'm going to do... Some of us, you know, we campaign for God. God, if you elect me, I'll do this and I'll do that for you and I'll do these things for you. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, so don't bother. Don't bother trying to paint yourself up to be something great. God elected you not because of you, but because of him. He chose, this boggles my mind, God chose to put his love on you. He chose. So be diligent. Paul would say it this way. Be diligent to make your call election sure would mean to Paul, hey, don't let the grace of God in your life be in vain. God's given you a gift. Use it. And Peter has in mind baptism. When he says you've been cleansed from your old sin, I think he's got baptism in mind. And what do we say at baptism? Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in what? Newness of life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So all of these things that Peter is talking about are all part of the new life 
and the new creation. He says, therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, these things he spoke about, you will never stumble. Oh, how many people stumble? Fall back into old sins, back into old patterns. I know me. I said this last week. If I ease up or uh, slow down in my pursuit of God, pretty soon I start to go backwards. You will never be stagnant in your life. You will never just kind of say, well, I'm I'm just going to hang in the middle. You're either progressing or you're regressing. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. And I don't want to stumble. Look, I see pastors stumble all the time and some big names. And at some point, that person decided to start pursuing other things besides God, even though everything outward looked right. At some point in the heart, they slowed up, said, well, it's not that important. I'll compromise on a few things. And it, and it takes, I can't, you may have the luxury to do what, with your life what you want to do. I don't think you do. I think Peter's saying you don't. But hear what I'm saying. I don't have the luxury to slow down. Because if I stumble, you know, you smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. When, when a shepherd stumbles, it, 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 it confuses people. It, it can really mess things up. I don't have that liberty in my life to slow down. I can't, nor would I want to. And that was all true before I became, before I became, a, you know, well, when I was just, uh, when I just got saved, it's like, okay, where's the Bible study? You know, I spent years involved with men's Bible study, Tuesday night men's Bible study at the church I was going to. And man, I was there every Tuesday night. I did not miss. It became a staple in my, in my, in my life. And my wife knew it, and she was glad to send me. Believe me, she was glad to see me go. Tuesday night, out the door. And I would try to make sure she had an opportunity to pursue her life and to grow. So getting into Bible studies, this is, what, this is what helps us. If we're pursuing this, then Peter says, and he's one that knows. When he took his eyes off the Lord, when he was walking on water, he took his eyes off the Lord. And what happened? He sank. That's just what he's saying here. Be diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So Peter brings it back to himself. He says, because this is so important, because he wants to see us not be Christian underachievers, he said that I have a responsibility. I'm not going to neglect to keep reminding you guys about these things. See, you know, the, my job week to week is not to teach you something fancy or new or to spin it in a way that's exciting. The most important things in your life are the things you already know. It's these thoughts that have settled out already. Because look what Peter says. He says, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, his earthly body, to stir you up by reminding you. See, you leave here, and and all the things we talked about start to dissipate. And so you come back next Sunday, and here I am. That pastor's stirring me up again, right? Got to stir those thoughts up. And now, oh yes, now I remember. And then, pretty soon, they start to settle out again. That's why I need to come Wednesday, too. So I'm Wednesday. Okay, stirring it up again. I gotta be, I'd be here every night if I could, you know. 
Because I forget the things I'm supposed to remember, and I remember the things I'm supposed to forget. I can't, you know, I, I can't remember where that scripture is, but I got vivid pictures of, of some things I did in my life years ago that I'm, I'm ashamed of. You know how that works. Satan loves to give us a good memory for the things we did in the past. And we struggle to have a good memory of the things we're supposed to remember from the word of God. And that's why, look, we take, I know for a fact that a large part of this congregation is only here once or twice a month. And I know some of you work and there's reasons and we're, you know, we, we sick and we travel and all that stuff. And, and I understand all that. I get that. But it's not just checking off the box in your Christian life. It's because I know my, I forget a lot of stuff. And so I, I come here and I get into the Word because most of you don't get into the Word on your own either. And so this is what you get. This, if you're going to be stirred up, it's going to be here. And if you go two weeks, three weeks, pretty soon what happens is you start to fall back into old patterns. You start getting angry real fast. Right? Or you start getting critical. And all, you know, it's not just about drugs and alcohol, right? That's not the only thing we've been saved from. Or you start getting self-righteous or self-centered. And you need to come, you need to hear what God wants to say to you to stir the, oh yeah, I knew that, but I forgot. I knew that. So beware of, of pastors that try to present something new. And if it's new, it ain't true. And if it's true, it's not new. You, the things you need to know are things you already know. My job, the job of a good pastor is to take you and, and just stir that up inside of there so that you leave here stirred up. I love that. Because I, I like being stirred up myself. Do you? I mean, is that, I appreciate someone that stirs me up. This reason I will not be negligent to remind you. I'm not going to neglect reminding you always of these things. See, it's not something you, you already know them. It's, it's something you already know, and you're already established in the present truth. You, you know it. It's part of your life. But I'm going to keep reminding you, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent. So he recognizes i got a short amount of time left some reason he knew his death was imminent but as long as i got a mouth that moves and a brain that thinks and a heart that loves jesus i am going to stir you up by reminding you hey you have been given a new life don't waste it i hope that stirs you up knowing that shortly i must put off my tent i love the way peter describes this life it's like we live in a tent this is temporary you know our tents by the, you know, when we start out, we're, we, we got a good-looking tent, you know, and we work on the tent. And we, we, we take the tent to the gym, and we feed the tent good stuff, and we juice and smoothies, and I, I'm in, I, I hear you. I know that. But then some of you, your tent's getting a little saggy. <laughs> and there's some wear and tear on it, and, you know, this thing, it's not meant for permanence. It, this body is not meant to live in eternally. At some point, you take this tent and you go, man, that thing is old and wore out and I can't live in it anymore. And I believe the grace of God prepares you for that day. I believe that's part of, part of what God does for us. It's just, you know, where we start to long for something permanent, something that's eternal. I'm tired of Because when you're young, it's like everything's about the tent. And you're going to say, hey, you like my tent? You know, I'm going to see you checking out, everybody's checking out my tent. Do you see the zippers on him? Man. <laughs> but now, see, now I'm, 
some of you will laugh when I, I'm 45 now. Oh, yeah, baby. You know, I hear you. I hear Just wait a few years, Pastor Steve. But I like going, when I go to the gym now, I see all the young guys that are all into their tents, and I'm starting to see, you know, I got some broken zippers and some things like that. You know, I'm like, you just, you just wait. But I tell them, I said, listen, you know, exercise profits a little bit, but exercise yourself toward godliness. Because what you have now, you cannot keep. You're investing in an account that will deplete, guaranteed. It is a losing investment. Now, there are some advantages and some good things. Don't get me wrong. I love uh, to be physical. I love to be athletic. I love to work out. But I recognize something I didn't recognize when I was young. And, and that's that what I'm investing there is temporary. Every minute I spend in the Word of God, every minute I spend engaged in people's lives is, is heavenly uh, time. And that I can keep. So I want to be a good investor. So he's going to, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to stir you up, knowing shortly I'm going to put off my tent. Moreover, verse 15, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. And so he's writing it down. So Peter, how, you know, how, do, how do we know that what you're telling us is true? Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that's being challenged is the second coming of Christ. We'll see that in chapter 3. They say, yeah, we hear you talking about Christ coming back, but come on. You know, it's been, now, at that time, it was a much shorter time. Now it's been 2,000 years. We hear you Christians talking about the rapture and Christ coming back, and we haven't seen anything. We think you're off your rocker. We think you believe a myth. And the word fables is the Greek word mythos, which is where we get the word mythology. We think you believe in, in myths. We did not funny, follow cunningly devised fables. Anybody ever been challenged about that? Uh, Christianity is just a myth. The Bible is just a book written by people to explain something they didn't understand in their lives. And, uh, well, here's Peter to say it's not true. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When were you an eyewitness of his majesty? Well, I mean, Peter walked with him for three years, but there's a special incident that Peter has in mind, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory from God, when, and when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Anybody remember where that happened? Where Peter heard those words? The Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw Jesus transfigured. And, and the interesting thing is, Peter doesn't quote the rest of this verse, or the rest of what God said. God said, basically, you know, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, shut up for a minute. You know, Peter's just one of those that always talks. When he, when he doesn't know what to say, he just says anything. Anybody here like that? Like, silence is uncomfortable. And so instead of thinking about what you're going to say or letting there be a silence, he'll just open his mouth and say something. So God says, Peter, be quiet. Listen to my son. Just take, take a breather. And, but he doesn't quote the rest of that. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Confirmed who Jesus is. Just confirmed it. What he had seen, what he'd experienced. So the question then would be, well, let me read on, verse 18. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter says, first of all, 
I'm an eyewitness. And he uses the word we a lot, doesn't, doesn't he? He doesn't say I. He says we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you. It wasn't just one man's experience. It was many people's experience. In fact, 500 people were witness to Jesus Christ in his resurrected body. But is experience enough? I mean, if that was it, you know, it would experience be enough? And experience, as you know, can be very misleading. It's very hard to interpret experiences. It's, uh, we can't always trust experiences. And so look what he says next. Verse 19, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Or we have, uh, in some, maybe in your King James Bible says, For we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now I like that. So you have the experience, which when it is backed up by the certainty of the word, see the word of God is certain. And I like when he says the, um, the prophetic word confirmed. The word confirmed means to walk where it is solid. Solid enough to walk on. Firm, unshakable, absolutely dependable. Giving guaranteed support or security. Worthy of confidence because, because it's solid footing. That's what Peter is saying. So experiences are fine, but they're not as, you can't put as much confidence in those. But what you can put confidence is when you talk, when you're speaking from God's word, when, and he's talking about Isaiah, he's talking about Jeremiah, he's talking about Daniel, these Old Testament prophets, what they said. He said, you can bet on. They pointed forward to the Messiah, to Christ. And Peter says, and then we had the experience that confirmed what the word already said. Double jeopardy. You got them both sides. Look, be careful of following experiences. And there are those that have thrown away the word of God and just pursuing experiences, whatever we feel, whatever is our experience. And I think there should be an experience of your Christian life. I think there should be experiences, but experiences should follow what the Word of God says is true. If your experience is different than what the Word of God says, then your experience may not be from God. Maybe from your flesh or from Satan himself. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, the more sure, stable word of prophecy, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So he says you ought, you ought to pay attention to what? Your experience? No. You ought to pay attention to the word. To, I mean, the prophecy in the Old Testament is absolutely astounding. Naming King Cyrus of the, of the Persians by name in Isaiah. Daniel predicting the coming and the, uh, the kingdom of Alexander the Great and its division into four separate parts and and how that would work out. I mean, amazing. The predictions about Jesus, his birth, his life, uh, where he would live, where he would minister, how he would die, Psalm 22. Amazing. Isaiah 53. All these things, absolutely astounding. And you know, scholars and people read these things, and they say there's no way that they could have, read, could have known those things beforehand, so it must have been written later, only after the fact. But look what Peter says. He says, knowing this first... That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
So no, no prophecy of God or of Scripture is of any private interpretation. There's a couple ways people look at that, but I, I think the, to the context, the best way to see that is to, is to say uh, the word private is of its own. No prophecy of Scripture is of its own uh, interpretation or of its own uh, origin. So the prophets, Isaiah didn't sit down and go, you know, I think I'm going to write about something here. Let me write about this and, and sort of make this thing up. Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, and, and what he's saying is he had no idea himself what he was writing. The prophets didn't even understand the, the ramifications of what they were writing them, when they wrote it. But they were moved. And that speaks of a sailboat. Peter loves the fishing examples. It speaks of a sailboat with the wind blowing. And he was moved along to the Holy Spirit. Isaiah goes, I just feel compelled to write this. I'm not sure why. You ever felt that way? Just compelled to do something? You're not sure why you're compelled to do it, but there's like an inner compulsion to do this thing? Well, God chose and set apart certain men to work through, to speak through. And they were compelled, their own personality, their own writing style, and they were compelled to pen these things that they didn't even understand themselves. It wasn't something that was originated with them. And so you have Peter's experience, you have the Word of God, the writing of the prophets, moved by who? The Holy Spirit. God moving them. All Scripture, Paul said to Timothy, is God-breathed. Because some people say, well, if you just have a burning in your bosom, that's how you know it's true. That's a, I don't want to base my spiritual life on, on an experience, like a burning in my bosom. You know, that could be like heartburn. I'm going to choose a religion because I might have had heartburn? Really? But you read, listen to me. You become a student of God's word. And you start to see, you go through the Old Testament, you see what's been written there. 300, at least 300 specific prophecies about Jesus Christ, all fulfilled. And everybody will say, oh, it's just a myth that you follow. You don't know what you're talking about. The chances of Jesus fulfilling all the things that were fulfilled and having eyewitnesses to all of it are, people have done the math, incredible uh, odds. Basically, he is who he says he is. And Peter says you can bank on it. So because that's true, don't be a Christian underachiever. Amen? Amen. We'll pick up in chapter 2 next week. Let's pray. I'll invite the praise team up. And maybe uh, as, as the praise team comes, and we'll stand in just a moment, not yet. Um, you know, if I've stirred you up, if the Word of God has stirred you up, and maybe you're looking at your life going, yeah, I'm a sometimer. You know, I'm a, I'm a casual, on-the-fringes person. And yes, I'm struggling. I'm falling back. I can't tell you, it's just so hard to watch people get, you know, to come and to get baptized and to... to profess a faith in Jesus Christ, and then within weeks or months, they're gone, back to their old life. And, and it's interesting, I didn't mention this as I was going through, but the, um, when Peter says you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins, it's the, lethe is the Greek word, and it's where we get lethargic and lethal. That's where our English words come from, that word that means to forget. Forgetting you were cleansed from your old sins. Forgetting 
that you've been given this new life, forgetting we have selective memories, don't we? We remember the good things about the past. Oh, remember how fun it was when we used to party? You know, remember how fun it was when we used to... And it's lethal. And it can cause lethargy. So if you find yourself in that situation, uh, then I'm just going to invite you to the prayer room after service. Uh, I'll be sitting on the steps over here to just take stock of, of how, how seriously you, you take your Christian life. Or if maybe it's sort of like, a, you know, it's just something I do. I've had to add it to all the really important things in my life. And we, we've got it flipped around. Maybe this is the thing that's really worth pursuing in life. And the other things are just the spokes on the hub. So let's stand. And we'll close with a a final song. Here that is uh, struggling with uh, living the new life. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord. They would ask and seek and knock to embrace the new life that they've been given. It's there, Lord. We know it's there. But maybe taking your grace and, and using it as a, as a license to continue in sin when they really need to be set free. So Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd stir us up again and stir up anyone who needs a new life or is struggling with their old one uh, to come, be healed, and be made whole. It's in Jesus' name all God's people said, Amen. Amen.